You're listening to the Assembly Call IU podcast and postgame show, the place where Indiana fans across the globe hang out online after every IU basketball game. Join us for our live broadcasts on Thursday nights and immediately following every IU game at our website, assemblycall.com. That's assemblycall.com. Welcome, Hoosier fans, to this week's edition of Assembly Call Radio, where each week we discuss the most urgent topics in the never-dull world of Indiana basketball. This is our 112th edition of Assembly Call Radio, and it is our 488th episode overall of the Assembly Call, recorded on the evening of Thursday, February 21st, 2019. I am your host, Jared Morris. And let's begin this edition of the Assembly Call how we begin every edition of the Assembly Call, and that is with our Hoosier Proud banner moment. And Indiana is the national champion. When it comes down, Indiana will be champion. Martin takes the shot. The Hoosiers have won the national championship. Ah, better times. This week's banner moment occurred at the 2.45 mark of Tuesday night's loss to Purdue. Carson Edwards missed a three-pointer, his 10th miss from long range on the night, without making a single one. And Edwards didn't just miss it. Indiana's defense, as it did all night long, forced the miss, led by an uber-intense and focused Al Durham and some timely hedging by Juwan Morgan. That play, that thud of a miss, was indicative of the kind of alert, connected team defense that Indiana played all night on Purdue's best player. Tuesday night marked the first time all season that Edwards was held without a three-pointer. In fact, you have to go all the way back to February 3rd of last season to a game at Rutgers to find the last time Edwards didn't make at least one three-pointer in a game. And while he did make a huge driving bucket late to give Purdue a 46-45 lead, credit where due, Edwards struggled from inside the arc all night, going just 4 for 14. In all, Edwards scored just 9 points on 4 of 24 shooting, good for an offensive rating of 52 for the game, the lowest rating he's posted since his freshman season. It led to Purdue scoring just .76 points per possession, one of the lowest totals they've posted in years. Sometimes good shooters and good offenses just have bad nights, independent of the defense. And sometimes the individual and team defense is so good, it can bottle up even the best scores and schemes. On Tuesday night, it was the latter. Indiana's defense was outstanding. A welcome turnaround from the defense we saw Saturday at Minnesota, which had been flat terrible. Archie Miller wants his Indiana program to be one that is built on consistent defense played with toughness and togetherness. His Hoosiers delivered that on Tuesday night. It was a defensive performance to build on moving forward and one that will lead to victory on most nights. Just, unfortunately, not that night. All right, now let me introduce my esteemed co-host for this week's show. To my left, he is the Fran McCaffrey of Girls U Sports Coaching in Cincinnati, the president emeritus of the Robert Johnson Fan Club and a world-renowned bracketologist. And he has just one very small request as a fan of Indiana basketball. I just want one guy who, when he takes a three-pointer, I actually believe it's going to go in. Andy, what is your bottoms line from the last week in Indiana basketball? Yeah, I might just stick with that little sound drop there and go with that as my no. But uh, you know, as you watch these games, I think we we get on here and it seems like each loss is taken on a life of its own for a different reason. And you kind of work your way through the emotions of, hey, I was really glad they played better. To why did this? Why did it take so long for this to come around? And uh, to see that kind of effort. And then you go back and you sit and you watch the press conference and you see a guy like Juwan Morgan sitting there choking back tears, 
uh, in a game that really meant a lot to him. And it, it puts a number of things in perspective, not the least of which is we don't have a whole lot more games to watch of him, no matter how this season really goes, no matter what, you know, even if some kind of miraculous run would happen, it's still not that much longer. And I guess as you kind of look for different things to focus on, a lot of the what do we look for from here in the remaining games of the season, so much of that focuses itself on things that we might see that are, you know, seeds to plant for next year and different things like that. Even I wrote something like that to you guys as we were trying to talk about it. But I then kind of take a step back and say, like, I just want to enjoy the last handful of games and I'm going to get to see him play because while his leadership style may not have been what this team needed. You certainly can't say that he didn't lead. He's an undersized center going out there playing 35, 38 minutes a game, banging with these guys and really just trying to lead by example. And I think, you know, his contributions and and all the things that he's really brought to the program are things that will be missed, even though it's easy to say, let's turn the page on this season. So I guess my thoughts would be if I could talk to the players, it would be, you know, make make these last handful of games good for him because he deserves it. And talking to fans, pull hard for that guy. Even if you're pissed about how the season has gone, which I think everybody is to varying degrees, pull hard for that guy to have some success and to have some great moments that he'll be able to remember in somewhat in in thanks for what he's given to IU and what he's done. So uh, that's kind of the, the lens that I'm going to choose to watch these last handful of games. And maybe they take on even bigger meaning than that, but I will certainly miss watching him play. He's been a great representative of the program. Uh, his, you know, says the right things, does the right things. And uh, it, it clearly a guy who, while there's guys that get pointed to about, does this guy care? Where's this effort? Where's that? You, you didn't have to watch too much of that press conference the other night to really see that that guy gets it. That guy cares. And uh, hopefully these last few weeks will, will bring some better things for him. Give him a reason to uh, crack a smile in the post game instead of looking like he did the other night. And to my right, he's a columnist for The Big Lead and a co-host of The Hangover, and also... I was the Indian Daily Student's basketball columnist. I have plenty of problems with Steve Alford. I've never changed a diaper in my life. If you don't agree with me, that's totally fine. You can be wrong. That's fine. Ryan, what is your opening rant this week? Stand by all of that to this day. Um, I Look, all I've got it really for this week, obviously it stinks to lose to Purdue. We're all upset about it. Uh, but if you look at this next stretch for Indiana... This is going to make or break the season. And we've said that a couple times this year, but this is at this point where we are, this is for sure 100% going to make or break the season at Iowa tomorrow night, uh, Friday night. You've got uh, Tuesday at home against Wisconsin, and then we're going to be there Saturday, March 2nd against Michigan State. Uh, those three games against top 25 teams, uh, that's your season right there. Then you finish at Illinois and at home against Rutgers. You definitely have to win those two. And we're not even talking about NCAA tournament. We're just talking to make this season anything, you know, at all. Um, You finish above 500, you've got to feel like you're going to the NIT because of your wins and because of the fact that Indiana is Indiana and the NIT would love to have Indiana. Uh, So, you know, if you're talking about it from that perspective, uh, Indiana's got some some quality wins and we'll probably be in there. Uh, but if you want to make the NCAA tournament, you have to win the next. Hey, we've we've heard all. Oh, you've got to win this. Got to win this game. Got to win this game. No, those next three games are the ones you got to win. Um, and then you know you get to the you get to the the Big Ten tournament. Of course, if you don't win all five of these for many games, you get to the Big Ten tournament. Of course, it's a roll of the dice. Uh, you never know. But this team has to come together. And we saw the effort against Purdue defensively, and we saw the effort offensively but we just didn't see the continuity and execution offensively. And that has to show up. And you know what also has to show up? 
somebody has to step up confidently and make some shots. And and they had plenty of open looks against Purdue from three that just did not go down. I rewatched that game. It's stark how open some of those shots were that just didn't go down and were nowhere close. And we know this team is not a good three-point shooting team. We're going to talk about that tonight. But at some point, somebody has to step up and make some shots on this team. These guys have played basketball before. You know, they're not 28% three-point shooters. They're better than that. But the confidence is gone. And and team-wide, the confidence is gone. Except for maybe Devontae Green. He's always confident in himself. But other than that, the, the confidence is completely out the window. These guys have to start making some shots and, and shooting with regularity. We saw one go down for Rob Finnessy the other night. That's a great sign because his shot had been way off since he came back from his injury. Uh, that's good moving forward. Uh, but other guys have to make shots too. I mean, a guy like Demise Anderson, he's not playing much, but when he's in there, his whole thing is supposed to be shooting. And he's been awful from three this year. It just has not had any confidence whatsoever. And his shot has not even been close. It's not like some of these are rimming in and out. These They're, they're nowhere close. And so somebody on this team over their last remaining weeks of the season has to step up and start consistently making shots. And that's the only way this season is going to get turned around. The effort and execution... I mean, the effort has to be there. Um, the execution, I don't expect to get worlds better, but I expect to be better. Uh, but then somebody, you know, if you're executing properly, someone has to be able to knock down a shot from the outside or the opposing team is just going to limit you to what you can do offensively. All right, here's what we're going to talk about this week. Keys to victory against Iowa, as Ryan mentioned. Why can't we shoot? We'll give you seven reasons, in fact, why IU has had two straight bad shooting seasons. Then how does Indiana's talent actually stack up with the rest of the conference? We investigate and then we answer your questions. All of that coming this week on Assembly Call Radio. Now, before we get to all of that, let's talk, as we do in this spot usually, about sleep. And if you stuck around for AC After Dark last week, then you heard our expansive conversation with Megan Mahaffey. Hi. She is our longtime Assembly Call listener and an original chat mobber. Well, Megan was recently in the market for a new mattress, and she and her husband decided to give Comfort Option a try. And she was nice enough to join us last week to share her experience. And naturally, I chopped up the audio to use in fun, out-of-context ways. I just sneezed, and it's the worst thing that has ever happened to me. But also in useful ways, like sharing why you should give Comfort Option a try. For example, if you live in India or Bloomington, you can schedule Comfort Option's revolutionary in-home mattress service. Why is that cool? There's a van with a bed in it, and they just put the mattress together right there, and you lay on it, and you decide if you like it or not. Plus, they don't charge you extra to come build the mattress at your house. Seriously, they don't. And if you don't live in India or Bloomington, you can still order one of their alpha mattresses online and they'll deliver it anywhere in the U.S. Megan and her husband actually went with the alpha medium. We've been really, really pleased with how the alpha medium has felt. I am physically sleeping better. And to top it all off, Comfort Option offers a 3090 satisfaction guarantee to make sure that you love your mattress. I actually got an email this morning from Comfort Option just checking in. You know, how's everything going? Do we need to make any adjustments? Because they will do that with the Alpha mattress too, folks. They will let you sleep on it for 30 days and then they'll work with you to kind of swap things out and, and make it more appropriate for what you need if you find it's not working for you, which is awesome. Bottom line, they want the mattress buying experience to be more pleasant than it's ever been. The whole thing, start to finish, went incredibly smoothly. Mission accomplished. So go to comfortoption.com right now and either order your alpha mattress or schedule your in-home mattress store service today. And when you do it, use the promo code ASSEMBLY to get $50 off your purchase. Again, 
ComfortOption.com, promo code ASSEMBLY for $50 off. Get the mattress that's right for you. Don't leave your sleep to chance. It's too important. We want you to live. Yes, we do. Can we get some basketball, please? Yes. Okay. Back to talking basketball. Gentlemen, Indiana will have an opportunity to rebound from the Purdue loss and the current four-game losing streak tomorrow night, Friday night. Uh, It's a late tip against Iowa. Andy, as you look at this game, and obviously Indiana's already played Iowa once, lost by five at home. What are the keys to Indiana being able to go on the road to Iowa City and pull out a victory? Well, on the on the one hand, I certainly hope that it, it felt like for a few games there, Iowa used up any residual luck that they had going for them between some of the shots that Bohannon hit against IU. He had a buzzer beater against Northwestern, and then the crazy like Joe Wieskamp throw the ball length of the floor, winds up in his hands, and he banks one in from the corner. So it feels like... Um, I mean, in this season, perhaps it should never feel like an opponent has used up all of their all of their good luck. But on some level, it does feel like, uh, you know, maybe things get back to a, a reasonable level uh, with Iowa. But they uh, they lost on a buzzer beater uh, tip in. I guess not a buzzer beater, but a tip in in the you know, final 10 seconds the other night. Uh, so I think as, as you look over it, you know, they really burned IU three point shooting in the first game. I think that becomes really important for a team. That's that's really good offensively to begin with, uh, and IU allowed them to shoot you know forty percent from three point range in the first game, and and the other guy who really burned him was Tyler Cook. That there were uh, didn't really have great answers for him on the inside, and uh, it, you know Luca Garza was a guy that got talked about coming into that game, but he ended up being in foul trouble for the majority of the game, and it was really Cook who gave gave IU trouble, and so uh, you've really got to get off to a good start, um, not let the crowd get in the game too much uh, and and you know play the, the kind of defense they played the other night and really make things tough for Iowa on that end of the floor because that's really where you know for a team like that they can really get going downhill offensively they run off a, a good series of points crowd gets in the game and and based on what we've seen from IU this year it's not a uh, not an optimal situation for them to end up in and so I think it, you know really defense is going to have to be it you'd like to think that IU is going to be able to score uh, enough against Iowa whose defense hasn't been that great in Big Ten play Again, maybe that's uh, wishful thinking given what we've seen out of IU's offense, but it all has to start on the defensive end because that's what's going to keep the crowd out of it and give IU a chance to hang around long enough to uh, win the game. And maybe get Robert Johnson to come back and hit seven threes against him again. Hey, yeah. What did he hit? Nine? I think that game? Uh, was eight, it seven eight or nine? nine? No, yeah, it was, yeah, it was even more than that. I would, um, I would take seven, even if it was nine. Seven would be fine. <laughs> I would too. I'd take three at this point. Yes. Yeah. Yes. If anybody who can make three in a game, game, everybody would just pass out and then miss the rest of the game anyway. Yeah. I would also say, you know, Juwan's got to play more than 22 minutes. You know, I agree, Andy. You've got to make threes to beat Iowa. And the other thing is, you got to defend the three point line. In Iowa's losses this year, they're shooting 31.3% from downtown. Their season average is 38.1% in conference play. So it is a stark difference and a big key to watch. And it was a big key in game one is Joe Wieskamp. He is. Five for 20 in their losses, but he's shooting 42.6% overall. And he has scored in double digits, or he scored in single digits in all six of their losses. He had two in the Maryland game. And this is the guy that Indiana was just leaving and allowed to get basically three wide open threes early in the first half, and it killed them. So they've got to understand the scouting report and get out on him and not let him have open threes. Ryan, last word on the Iowa game. Yeah, here's my key to the Iowa game Bohannon of East Camp. East Camp cannot come by for nine threes. I mean, that's, that's just. You can't let him do it. 
Romeo Langford did not guard Wies Camp well last time. Justin Smith made some mistakes. On he him. did in the second half. He just did early. No, he did. Yeah. Right. But Wies Camp hit three in a row in the first half, basically. I mean, not they were in quick succession, not in a row. One but, of those was Justin Smith with one of the worst one of those approaches Smith. I've ever seen. And quite frankly, you can't have those guys hit nine threes on you. The reason why is because Indiana doesn't have anybody who can hit nine combined to hit nine threes to answer it. Uh, you look at some of the games this year for Indiana, and the difference in the game is at the three point line. And and I know that's easy to say, and we keep harping on it about the shooting, but when it's such a weapon in the game these days, you cannot get outscored by 20 points at the free the three-point line or whatever it is. And we've seen Indiana consistently get outscored by 15, by 18 at the three-point line. You cannot do that in the modern basketball game and expect to win games just by pounding it in the paint. Um, there was a while, even during the losing streak, where Indiana was still over 50% from the field on the season and losing games. And the reason why is because you were getting twos instead of threes consistently. So in the first game, Indiana hit seven threes. Well, uh, Iowa hit 10 and won by five points. And that's nine points that they got yet on the three-point line. So yeah, they shoot more threes. Uh, they're more consistent, so they're going to win uh, at the three-point line. You can expect that. But Indiana cannot make it easy on them. And and Wieskamp and Bohannon, they made it easy. Bohannon, of course, hit the ridiculous one at the end that we all know about, and there's nothing you can do to defend that. Sometimes those just go in. Uh, but he also hit some pretty open threes that, he, he, that the team gave him, and, and you can't let those happen. Yep. All right, coming up on the assembly call, let's talk more about shooting. How is it possible that a program like Indiana from a state like Indiana can produce two straight seasons of such putrid shooting? Where have all the Jimmy Chipwoods gone? We're going to discuss it and give you the exact reasons why. Stick with us in the assembly call. Welcome back to the Assembly Call. You can find all of our content at our website, assemblycall.com. And if you ever want to participate in one of our unedited live broadcasts, chat mobbers, or watch those replays, then check out our YouTube channel, as esteemed chat mobber Chad once put it. Hearing the stuff in between, you get to know you guys a lot better. Like the time last week when Coach used a get well wish to a chat mobber as an opportunity to rip IU players for their lackadaisical pregame warmups against Ohio State. And Mary, we hope you, you get better from the, the hip replacement and I guarantee you that your pregame routine is probably more intense than some of the IU kids I saw on Sunday. So, so keep up the good, keep up the good work, Mary, and keep joining us in the chat room. Oh, join us live at YouTube.com/assemblycall. Coach gets feisty on AC Coach is a individual who we love very, very much. Their so times aren't as funny as the moment in which they occurred, but I laugh just as much hearing it again than, than the initial time. I laughed so hard when I was going through and heard that because I had forgotten about it. Uh, okay, I'm Jared Morris here with Andy Bottoms and Ryan Phillips. So we got this question from Marty. He said, perhaps discuss how it is possible that a blue blood program has not one player who is a legit three-point shooting threat, especially in the state of Indiana where there is a basketball hoop in every driveway. Mind-boggling to me. Well, it's mind-boggling to us too. So let's talk, guys, about the many, many reasons why Indiana hasn't been able to shoot under Archie Miller, because there isn't just one reason. There's a lot of them. And I want to go through them all here. And maybe there's some that, you know, I didn't add to this list. So you guys feel free to chime in. But let's start first with some things that happened before Archie Miller even got here, because last year, Indiana wasn't a good shooting team. This year is Indiana is not a good shooting team. 
But there were some things that happened before Archie even got here that set Indiana on this path. You know, one, just it's worth pointing out, is early departures. You know, Thomas Bryant and OG Ananobi were capable big men shooters who went to the NBA early. And James Blackman Jr. left early, too. You know, he would have been on last year's team. And Colin Hartman came back but wasn't really himself last year. So those are all players who you know, projected just at least based on a four-year college career to be on the program that weren't, that would have helped the shooting. More egregious were some recruiting misses and decisions by the previous staff that set the stage for this. So obviously you have, you know, not getting in-state guys, you know, going back previously like a Zach Irvin or to guys playing now like Kyle Guy, not getting those types of players hurt the overall shooting. But, you know, I went back and looked at some of the recruiting some of the scouting reports of guys recruited by the previous staff that are currently here. You know, Al Durham, Devontae Green, Justin Smith, you know, Josh Newkirk, who was on the team last year, even Juwan Morgan. And, you know, look at what they said about Al Durham. His shot is not consistent at this stage, but he shows offensive confidence to continue to shoot. Solid two-way player who is solid to sometimes sneaky athlete who needs to work on being a consistent shooter. All of these guys it was known in high school that they were inconsistent shooters. And the two guys who were kind of known to be shooters, Curtis Jones, really showed no development. And Grant Galon could shoot, but really couldn't do anything else. So it's important to remember before we get to, you know, kind of the decisions that this staff has made and what's happened this year is, you know, Ryan, the decisions that were made previously by a staff that clearly valued shooting did not recruit shooting. So it's not like guys have regressed. They were known to be inconsistent shooters when they got here, and even if they've improved, they aren't the kind of dead-eye, lights-out shooters that you need. Well, and, and let's let's alter that and say it's not that they didn't recruit shooting. They didn't land shooting. Yeah, I mean, you know, sure. Archie, Archie Miller has recruited guys who can shoot. Some of them just pick other schools. For whatever reason, they pick other schools, and, and that happens in big-time college recruiting. You go after really good players, you're going to lose, what, you know, two-thirds of them you're going to lose i mean if you're unless you're duke or kentucky you're going to lose two-thirds of the guys you go after um or you know i mean obviously you you make certain targets higher priorities romeo langford was a higher priority than some other guys on that list and they got it and that's huge um but yeah you you, you know you can recruit all you want guys that, that can shoot the problem is you have to land some and i think the key to that is that under Tom Cream, when the team was shooting well from three, he was recruiting shooters across the board. And then when he would get four out of the 10 main guys he was recruiting, three of the four could shoot. And that's just the way it worked with him as a recruiter. Now, again, some of the guys who Archie Miller inherited were not shooters and, and so they're consistent shooters, we'll say. Uh, Justin Smith, a lot of people thought would be a good shooter. He has not developed into a good shooter. Um, so I think that it's really worth noting that he's had a tough time developing these guys into shooters. And also, you have to put some of this on Archie as well, not just the recruiting. We're but, getting to that. Yeah, okay. And 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 I would say that we'll, we'll get there then uh, because I do have some stuff to say about that. But I think that, yeah, you're right. The guys he inherited aren't exactly knockdown shooters. And the recruiting class he inherited was Al Durham. It was uh, Justin Smith. And it was Clifton Moore. None of those guys were known as shooters. Uh, Al Durham has become a better shooter since getting on campus. Um, Justin Smith has not. He has not really developed a jump shot. And at times, he's looked like he could be that guy. But in general, he has not looked like a great shooter. 
And then, you know, Clifton Moore, we haven't seen enough to even know if he can ever shoot. So um, it, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out as their careers expand and, and whether these guys choose to continue to stay with Archie. Remember, he was put in a very tough spot because with so many guys signing early now, there was nobody really, there weren't a lot of great players still available for him to go after and create a quick relationship with and lock down once he got the job. That's a position a lot of coaches are in. And so they instead opt to, hey, let's keep this recruiting class together, the recruiting class that's there, and then move on and start recruiting the next year really hard, really fast. And that is what Archie and the staff decided to do. And they did really well in their first full cycle recruiting. But that first recruiting class that he got that was, you know, the leftovers from Crane's recruiting class, that decision has been, is certainly questionable at this point, whether those were the guys to do it with, but their decision to then go after the next recruiting class really hard paid off. So again, it's sort of a juggling act is, is, you know, you have to decide, uh, you know, make a choice of what you're going to do. And they chose to recruit that first full class hard. See, here's why I want to make this point, because we see in the chat, Mike says, stop blaming it on Crane. He always led the nation almost in three point shooting. What is with the last few teams? That's why we're bringing this up because, again, you know, for a coach who valued three-point shooting so much, that's why it's odd that he was going to have rosters like this. He would not have yeah. magically made this a good three-point shooting roster. That's why it's worth bringing up to set the stage. There's plenty to get to with what's happened with the current guys, but that's yeah, why we doing, want to bring this we're up. We're doing seven here, and we're only through two, so yeah. don't worry. We're getting there. But, no, it, it, you're right. It is worth noting that there are players on this roster who were brought in by the previous staff who were not known as shooters. There, if you look at their scouting reports, none of them were known as shooters. Now, Crean and his staff were good at developing shooters. They were. I mean, that's just a fact. Mm -hmm. uh, but they weren't. These guys weren't inherently good shooters. So that is worth noting. Yep, Andy, do you want to chime in on that before we move on? Uh, not really. I mean, other than to say, you know, Robert Johnson. We we talked about him before. You know, he was another guy in the roster who had shown some ability to be. Uh, a solid three-point shooter, but was, you know, in a sophomore season, but was very much a guy who was able to get those shots. Uh, you know, he shot so well in an offense where so many other players were the focal point, and as he became more of the focal point, he struggled to uh, be able to take some of the shots. I think the quality of the looks that he got uh, during his one season with Archie wasn't what they were with Crean, and some of that is on the offensive system, and some of that is on the personnel. Um, but that would really be the only other one. I mean, really, when you look, uh, at, you know, at, at – at this season, I think Al's shown some significant improvement. He's, Agreed. you know, I think his his percentage has jumped by about ten percent. Yep. Uh, on like twenty, you know, I think he's you know doubled his number of makes with about you know fifty cent more fifty percent more attempts. So he's he's jumped quite a bit. Devontae's percentage looks um, probably a little bit better than it is. He's at thirty seven point five percent this year. But if you take out the Central Arkansas game when he was six for ten. Uh, from three, he's only 33% on the season in those games. So, but I think that's kind of what, you know, the scouting report that you had written down talked about him being streaky. That's a hundred percent true. That's yep. certainly, uh, you know, something that we've been able to see. You're listening to the assembly call. Jared Morris here with Andy Bottoms and Ryan Phillips. We're talking about why Indiana has struggled shooting the last two years. So I'm going to run through the next three here. And then I want to get your guys reaction. So the first one is that We've experienced some freshman year struggles from Rob and Romeo. You know, Romeo is shooting 32.3% in Big Ten play, which is better than a season average. The trajectory is up. Kind of tough to expect more than that based on what he was as a recruit and the fact that freshmen often struggle. Yogi, James Blackman, Christian Watford, Jordan Hulls, Victor Oladipo all shot significantly worse as freshmen than they did as their career went along. It's just something that you often see as guys adjust to 
the speed and, and the size and the strength of the guys in the college game. Bigger it, arenas is a big factor. Yeah, and, and, you know, and remember about Rob Finnessy, he is shooting 23.5% from three since his concussion. He was shooting 44.8% prior to it. Now, he might have fallen off anyway when he hit the freshman wall, but his numbers have dropped since that concussion. Okay, so part of it is, you know, those two freshmen – kind of experiencing some normal, you know, freshman struggles. Rob, we project to be a better three-point shooter. You know, you also have some seemingly good recruiting decisions by the current staff that haven't worked out. Evan Fitzner, he's shooting 29.3% from three. He was 40.1% for his career. Demise Anderson was recruited for shooting. Ryan, as you said, he's not even close right now. Neither one of those guys has been able to provide the key skill that they were brought here to provide. Some of that's on them. Some of that's on the staff. Some of that is just on the confidence vortex that this team has fallen into. And the other one is, frankly, injuries to Jerome Hunter and Race Thompson. You look at their scouting reports from high school, talks about the shooting. Jerome Hunter. Hunter is most dangerous behind the arc and is especially dependable from a stationary position and a catch-and-shoot scenario. His future as a spot-up shooter is what excites college coaches. Race think Thompson. we can use that right now? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Thompson often demonstrated that he can take the ball himself on the fast break and he can knock down three-pointers. So I know it's easy to say we haven't seen those guys play all year. Stop making the excuse that they didn't play. All we're saying is those are two of your better shooters that haven't been here. It's going to impact your ability to shoot. Forget and that's that. from two of the better recruits. I like, know. I mean, you know to so like, that, that, to that like, impacts it. But to act like them missing time isn't a factor in all of this is insane. As guys have worn down and as they're you know, they've played a lot more minutes. That's when other guys step up on your roster. And, you know, that point of the season is where other guys step up, fill in, and then they balance the minutes out a little bit. That has not happened for this Indiana team because there's been no minutes to balance out for other guys and no guys to step up. But by this point in the season, I have completely healthy Jerome Hunter and Race Thompson will be pushing for starting spots, in my opinion. That's how good they were as recruits. They were the second and third rank recruits in this class. So to act like missing them isn't a big deal is foolish. Does that is that the whole reason this has gone south? Absolutely not. And no one would say that. But it's a factor among many factors. And you can't act like, well, this is the team you got. You got to work. Well, no, but this team prepared all offseason to have these two guys who are phenomenally talented. And by the way, you talk about race as a shooter. He is a corner three guy. He loves corner threes. And he did that a lot in high school. What he would do is post on the block, and they watched a lot of film on him. He'd post up on the block. Somebody would drive down the middle, and instead of sealing his man, sometimes he would do that. This is sealing his man. He would step to the corner. His guy would help. Boom, pass to the corner, wide open three. And he was really good at knocking those down. He's got a great shot. So, you know, he's a guy who can help you in that way. And so you should expect help to be on the way next year with those two guys. And then, of course, you got to get Armand Franklin shooting threes. You've got to get maybe whoever the third recruit is in this class shooting threes, whoever you bring in as a transfer to shoot threes. I mean, it definitely has to be a focus moving forward, but just getting this team healthy will help with it. <laughs> so we're watching live, and Andy, it looks like he hasn't moved in like 45 seconds. I was like, what's up with Andy? He just texted me and said his computer shut down. He's getting back on. So oh, that... I thought he was mesmerized by my talking. <laughs> too. So that explains that. Okay, so let's go on with number six. And, and look, this is an important one. This is where we'll get into talking about Archie Ryan, which is the offense isn't producing enough rhythm three-point looks for the guys who are here, you know, who are there to take them. 
And, you know, when you look at Archie's teams at Dayton, they usually shot well from three. The whole narrative about Archie not, you know, valuing the three-point shot doesn't match the, the, his track record. But he always had a reliable point guard with an assist rate that was north of 25%. It's important for how his system runs. You look at Rob Finnessy. He was averaging 3.14 assists per game prior to the concussion when Indiana was a top 75 three-point percentage team. He's averaging 1.6 assists since the concussion. That's been a problem, as has the fact that Devontae and Al and Romeo haven't been consistent creators as you know defenses have packed in the lane. You know, plus you've had injuries that have hurt chemistry. Duran's been out. McRoberts hasn't even been, you know, his usual self shooting the ball. Finally saw some confidence against Purdue. The lack of practice time together. And then given all of that, Archie and the staff haven't figured out other answers for how to get more rhythm looks. But all of those factors are contributing to guys who aren't elite shooters and some of them being freshmen who are struggling, taking shots that aren't in rhythm, you know, in a sea of losses where their confidence is dropping. And it's, like I said, it's kind of this vortex that is just creating some of this poor shooting that we've seen. Hasn't been happening all season, but certainly during the losing streak. And that's not to absolve the coaches because they need to get better at finding the answers. But when you have, you know, mediocre shooters getting looks that aren't really in rhythm, what do you expect? Yeah. Uh, You know, that is a a huge part of it is the offense has not looked good. Uh, The offense is also meant to have guys who spread the floor, spread the defense out. And if you're not doing that and you're not making those shots, it's a chicken and the egg thing. You're not getting good looks for your shooters, but at the same time, your shooters aren't hitting the shots when they do get good looks. I mean, it's, it, it, it's cyclical and it works against itself the entire time. And, and so the offense is meant to have uh, shooters on the floor that can spread the defense out, create driving lanes. It's a driving kick offense. It's actually similar to what, Kentucky is run under uh, John Calipari in its most basic form, which is a dribble drive, sort of create motion off of the drive and kick. Um, You know, from what I've seen, when they've gone to sort of a flex offense, it's actually worked because they've gotten more cutting and more uh, movement off the ball, which I think they should probably do more of. But I think that it was also probably installed midseason because they weren't doing a great job of getting into the offense that they needed to do. So, again, yeah, you're getting mediocre shooters good looks and they're not making them and that makes the offense more and more bogged down in the middle because the defense isn't respecting your ability to knock uh to knock down shots so it really again uh just a cyclical thing is that you're getting the open shots but they're not going in and then on top of that the defense is basically giving you the open shots and you know you can't make them so everything gets bogged down in the middle everything gets clogged and you know even people talk about how tom crean's offense was great the one year he didn't have shooters, the exact same thing that happened this year happened that year. I can't remember what year it was. 2014. It was 2014, where nobody could shoot. Uh, and and what happened was everything got clogged up. The offense, it looked like guys were standing around. When you think back to Tom Crean's offense, that wasn't typically a problem, is guys standing around not being, not being able to find room to drive. That was never the problem. Uh, but that season it was, and that's what happens when you can't shoot and can't spread the deal. Yeah, and then, you know, number seven, I basically said it, which is the missed shots and the losses have led to a loss of confidence that has compounded itself. And when you shoot, you have to be confident. And it's one of those things that can kind of be contagious. And everybody's, you know, wants the next shot to count for 10 to make up for all the ones that you've been missing. And at some point, the guys are going to have to relax, you know, and just start making shots. We'll see if that happens. This group may not be capable of it, but that has an impact too. Andy, you want to come in and just kind of chime in overall here? Yeah, sorry, I don't not exactly sure what happened there, but uh, 
you know, I think to to go back to the point that was was being made before I got I got booted. You know, when you look back at a couple of those guys that, that you mentioned, you didn't shoot it as well as freshmen. You know, two guys did have good percentages on that list as freshmen, even though they got better. Those were, you know, James Blackman and uh, and Jordan Holes. Those guys, again, if you go back, like they were brought in as shooters. That was a known, you know, known commodity that they brought to the table and they still did improve. And so I think even as you look at some of those guys that improve, you can kind of look at a guy like Al and say, hey, he's showing similar uh, improvement. I think the the Jerome and race injuries are factors, but it's, you know, on the one hand, I also don't want to say that, you know, we, these other guys are struggling because they're freshmen, but, oh, these two freshmen could have really helped. While they do have those skills, they may have encountered some of the same issues that, that Rob and Romeo have had. So it, it's a little bit of everything, but I think most of it is they're just not getting and I think this is what you saw last year, too. We talked about Rob Johnson. He shot it so well, you know, his sophomore season because he was getting in-rhythm shots off of action from other guys. Yep. Very little of what this team has been able to do has been that way this season. And you see that in the assist totals. When I shot the ball well, the assist total has been high. I, I understand that, obviously, you only get assists when you make a shot. But there is a correlation to the fact that when this team's moved the ball really well and gotten more rhythm shots, they've shown a better, albeit not great, ability to actually hit them. All right, so let's carry this over to the next segment because there are reasons for optimism moving forward, that the shooting will improve. So we're going to talk about that. We'll save what we had for segment three maybe for next week or do it some other time. But stick with us. We're going to talk about reasons for optimism that this team will become better as a shooting team in the future. That's next. back to the assembly call. I'm Jared Morris. I'm here with Andy Bottoms and Ryan Phillips. Remember that you need to be subscribed to our email newsletter. We send out a weekly IU News Roundup even during the offseason and after every game we send out a detailed post-game analysis. There's a high-level operation going on out there. Just text IU to 66866 or go to assemblycall.com. That's IU to 66866 or go to assemblycall.com. Make no excuses. No excuses. Okay, so guys, last segment, we talked about shooting, and we gave seven reasons why this program has struggled so much to shoot, both last season and this season. And what we didn't get to, and we saved it for this segment, is some reasons for optimism moving forward. Because, look, I think we all agree, if we have to watch another season of shooting like this, you know, it's going to make us question why we watch basketball in the first place. So, you know, the first thing that I want to mention is, again, Archie Miller has a track record of teams being good from the three-point line. Just go look at his history at Dayton. A lot of his teams, you know, took a, uh, an above-average amount of threes, and they hit a high percentage of threes, you know, when he's got the point guards and the shooters that he needs. And that's the first thing that I want to talk about here, which is recruiting. It is a priority. Indiana recruited Darius Garland and DJ Carton hard. Those are two point guards who can shoot. Obviously, we looked at Armand Franklin and Brandon Newman. Armand committed first, and he has drastically improved his shooting. He's shooting up over 40% this year as a senior, which is a great sign. We're targeting guys like Harlan Beverly, Quinones, this Juco kid that I guess 80 people or 80 different teams are, are following at a Juco in Dayton who's a really good shooter. And we're involved with a guy like Anthony Leal from Bloomington South who is a really good shooter but doesn't have an offer yet. So, Ryan, it's clear from a recruiting standpoint this is a target, and just as you you know mentioned in segment two with Green, the big thing is now you've got to land those shooters. But it's quite clear that Indiana is targeting them. Yeah, and I think that there's an urgency because they've seen what's happened this year to focus more on shooters. Um, I, I think that last year's class, you had Finnessy, you had Langford, 
and you had uh, a hunter who could all shoot, you know, as, as perimeter guys, uh, that hasn't worked out perfectly. Obviously, Hunter's out. Uh, Romeo hasn't shot particularly well, but let's face it, Romeo's also getting challenged by really good defenders on a nightly basis, and that's never been something he's had to deal with. And then Rob Finnessy, as you noted, was shooting 44.8% or something like that before his concussion. Yeah, He was becoming a reliable three-point shooter. So again, you have to look at this all in context. There isn't one reason why this has gone south, but it's a whole combination of factors. Now, uh, Demisi Anderson, another guy who I thought was going to redshirt this year, I assumed was going to redshirt this year, but who could have, you know, watching him as a high schooler could have helped you from a shooting perspective. Well, he hasn't developed the way he's supposed to yet. Uh, he needs a, he, it, frankly, quite frankly, I think he needs an offseason where they need to reshape his body, reshape his movement, you know, reshape his leg strength, things like that. Everything that helps with shooting as well, you know, things like getting more spring on your jumper uh, because he really, if you watch him shoot, he doesn't move off the floor. He, you know, he, we're talking millimeters off the floor when he hit, takes a jumper. That's not good moving forward for him. So he needs to rework his jump shot in that way. He has the instincts for it. We've seen it in high school, but I do not think that he right now is a guy who's going to contribute on a college level right now. Um, but yeah, no, I think there's a commitment to look for shooting. I, I think that uh, Armand has, has, Armand Franklin has really improved his shooting, just his shot. If you look at videos from him as a junior and this year, it's different. He's not a knockdown shooter yet, but the trajectory is there and he's worked on it and improved it. Rob Finnessy was not a shooter as a junior, as a sophomore and junior. He improved his senior year and his shot looked way better when he stepped on campus and stepped on court this year. Uh, so, you know, you can develop and get better at it. But it's also key to get guys who just instinctively know how to knock down shots and are used to doing it. And I think that they're really trying to focus on that right now. Yeah. And, you know, I think also, Andy, you know, in terms of the returning players and Ryan mentioned some of them, you know, Al has already shown improvement. So not a guy who projected as a good shooter coming out of high school, but he has shown some improvement. That's good. Rob, again, projects as a solid shooter and facilitator, which we've talked about. You know, it really impacts this. He can fill both of those roles. And then, look, we are all hoping that Jerome Hunter is healthy, able to play, because he's going to help that too. You know, maybe it takes him a little bit of time to adjust next year, but he certainly projects as that moving forward. And then we'll have to see, you know, guys like Demisi and some of those others. But there is some reason for optimism with the returning players you know, maybe none of them are a Jordan Hulls, but that all of those guys can at least start to become high 30s, you know, low 40s, reliable type shooters. Yeah, I think the the challenges with some of this is you you look at a guy like Al and and from everything you hear and, and you hear said about him is just what a hard worker he is and how much time he's really spent into to working on his jump shot. And when you go back to some of those other guys that you mentioned, you know, you had those, uh, you know, you had those, those freshmen listed, you know, Hulls is, was... You know, known as a shooter, certainly he worked at it, got better, um, continued to you know find ways to get his shot off and things like that. Blackman was known as a shooter, did get better as a shooter over the course of time. But you also had a guy in there like Oladipo who was not known for his shooting at all, but just was a guy that you always heard just worked his butt off to try to get better. And um, and I think those you know similar things about being in the gym are things that I feel like are said about Al. So. I think it's got to be a mix, right? You've got to get some guys who come in just with that inherent ability to shoot like a holes or, or a Blackman or guys like that. But it's okay to take, you know, take on some guys who you think could project as good shooters who you know are going to get in and really work. I, I think what has been kind of left with this year is, you know, freshman and, and, you know, Al who's really worked to get better at a shot. So I think if you can continue that kind of trajectory and get those kinds of kids in a mix of those can be successful 
uh, at that. And I think Franklin quite honestly seems like a guy who's already done some of that work, even as you, as you guys said, from his junior to his senior year. So that's a positive sign for him really, you know, being diligent about working and trying to refine his game, get better uh, at those kinds of fundamentals. So I do think there's, there's reason for that. If guys can really take that, you know, take that challenge and, and work on those things and get better. I think that's good. I do think Finnessy has a good, you know, foundation, but he was a guy that was not necessarily known as a great shooter coming out of high school, but was another one that seemed to kind of work on it over the course of his career as you, as you read through different scouting reports there and had definitely shown some ability to do that. So if he can make some of those jumps from a freshman to a sophomore as, uh, as the other guys we mentioned and, Al continues to shoot the way he is and you get some other guys in. I think it's, I think it's positive. And, and quite honestly, you would expect nothing other than to see the staff really go after uh, these kinds of recruits, because for all the reasons that everybody wants to, you know, get mad and think about that, this staff and this coach may not be right for the program. If you didn't hear they were out <laughs> recruiting shooters, uh, that would probably be the red flag for me. So they're clearly trying to rectify the situation. They understand yeah. Uh, they understand the magnitude of what that's causing and the the spacing that's needed to be able to play and win uh, in high level college basketball. So uh, if if there weren't shooters on the radar, at least they're going after. Yeah, you got to land them, like you said. But uh, I, it's certainly an acknowledgement by them that that improvements have to be made there. And I don't think anybody, coaching staff, fans, or players want to sit through another season like the last couple have been, just in terms of being able to to struggle to find consistent outside shooting. Hey, you know what? The, what else they need to do? They need to hire someone to help these guys work on their shots. I am not pitching myself for that, but somebody needs to come. They had one on the staff before. Uh, the, I mean, you know, the, the last staff, I don't care if you hire them as a, you know, support staff member who can come out during practice and help them, you know, on their off time work on it. They do need somebody to help these guys tweak their shots. Yep. And, and every college team should have that. And so we haven't really heard that there's a guy on staff that does that. I like this staff in general, but they need some guy to be able somebody who's a specialist and, and make him like your film editor. I don't care whatever title you want to give him, you know, your, your video director or whatever, give him like a random title and, and let him come out and work with these guys in their off time on their shot. Uh, or even just like an assistant to Cliff Marshall or something like that, who can work with these yeah. guys and open gyms on their shot. They need that. They absolutely do. Even if it's with the good shooters to make sure they're not, you know, developing bad habits or whatever. So yeah, um, because it's pretty obvious on video to see that they're the tweaks for these guys aren't that dramatic. They just need, you know, to constantly be uh, working on it and constantly be pushed. And there's a reason Al's gotten better. And you know why Al's gotten better? He's been stuck in the gym working on it. Yep. And every report we've heard is about that guy's work ethic and how he has worked to make himself a better player. And the other thing to think about when it projects the next year, look, Romeo and Juwan are tremendous players and losing them is going to hurt in a lot of ways. But they are two of Indiana's three highest volume three-point shooters. Juwan shooting 31.9%. Romeo's at 26.7%, although he's been better in Big Ten play. You know, opponents are happy to let those guys shoot it. And once they aren't there, you're going to get more of the three-point attempts spread around to other guys who shoot a higher percentage. So look, not having them is going to have cascading impacts elsewhere. I'm not here to say right now Indiana will be better without those two guys. But from a shooting perspective, you will have more natural three-point shooters taking more three-point shots, which should lead to, you know, more prolific three-point shooting, you know, outside of maybe a rematch with Butler because or in the Crosstown Crossroads Classic because Juwan makes every shot there. Um, but other than that, that will help the three-point percentage go up. Um, Andy, any final thoughts on this before we move on? What you were just talking about in general, I, I think 
it'll be interesting to see what the offense does because we talk about, you know, we get on and, and, and talk about it. Well, it's, you know, four guys kind of standing around watching one of them, hoping they're going to make a play. So it's, it's kind of sometimes good to have those guys that you feel like you can rely on, but sometimes it's also a crutch. Um, but that also means that other guys are really going to have to step up, as you said, you know, to, to assume that from an offensive talent standpoint, this team is going to be better absent. Those two guys is probably foolish, but I think, that that maybe lack of predictability of defenses really being able to key in on those guys and really forcing other guys to have to be able to move and make plays within the flow of an offense as opposed to relying on individuals uh, will be hopefully helpful uh, and something that we that we may see and it will certainly be something that everybody will be looking for going into the next season. All right. So I know earlier that I teased that we talk about, you know, Indiana's talent, how it stacks up to other Big Ten teams. We'll save that uh, for next week. We might talk about it on the uh, on the YouTube version. So you can always go to YouTube.com slash assembly call. Check it out there. We may talk about it between segments, but we'll save that. Maybe do it next week uh, or I'll put it out as a blog post, but we will definitely get to it in the future. All right. uh, Coming up on our final segment, we're going to answer your questions including one about what Indiana needs to do to just make the NIT. Uh, Another, if we have time, about what causes some of the offensive issues we've seen from IU and others. That is next. Stick with us. Listening to the Assembly Call, we are wrapping up another week of talking IU basketball. I'm Jared Morse with Andy Bottoms and Ryan Phillips, and we've got a few questions to get to. These questions submitted in our private IU basketball discussion community, which you can learn more about at assemblycall.com/community. Uh, so we've got we got a few questions about what Indiana needs to do to make the NIT. I sent a tweet to John Templin uh, at NY Buckets, who is like the only guy that I know who does NIT bracketology. He said Indiana basically needs to go three and two down the stretch, considering their current record to get above 500, uh, and they can't afford to lose at home against Rutgers. If they do that, I think we all agree. If Indiana is above 500, they're going to make the NIT. Yeah, I don't care who they beat. They're going to yeah. be. I mean, if they're because you have to be above 500 to get the invite, right? That's Actually, you don't have to anymore. But, oh, really? Yeah, technically, but they typically only take teams that are over 500. Right. They change the rule. Yeah, but but yeah, if they're above 500, they're getting in. Yeah, yeah. The the big swing thing with the NIT, the way they changed a couple years ago. And I think I brought this up last year because sadly we've had NIT discussions two years in a row. Um, but but for teams in non-major conferences that won their regular season but don't win the conference tournament, they basically get an automatic bid to the yeah. uh, to the NIT. So you know you've got a set field that the number of quote unquote at large bids is is based upon how these teams do in their conference tournaments. So. Uh, as as unfun as it might be to root for the favorites sometimes, that might be what uh, IU fans will need. And to yes, do. if Indiana got an IT home game, they would take it. They would take it. There would be no more ridiculous You nonsense. get a couple more weeks to practice with your full roster, you're taking it. Um, Jeffrey asked, why didn't race play after his good play versus the Gophers? I don't know. Might have been the just the matchups. I haven't heard. You know, I, I don't I didn't hear Archie address it, so I haven't heard any reason beyond that. Um, hopefully he'll get a chance to get in there against Iowa. And then let's end with this, uh, Ryan. You know, this is from Max talking about the freshman class. It has obviously had some ups and downs. It's had some injuries. Are you still buying this this class as a foundational class for Archie Miller that can do what he needed it to do? Yeah, I don't I don't see any reason why not to. Uh Rob Finnessy and Romeo Langford were fantastic when they, you know, before Rob's injury. Uh and then Hunter and 
uh, Jerome Hunter and Ray Thompson were the number two and three recruits in that group, and they've both been injured all year, so you don't really know what you're getting from them. Based on what I've seen of them, I have no doubt that they'll be good basketball players. Jake Forrester was always a long-term project. I think he'll be fine as an energy guy and potentially a guy who, if he develops the right way, could start as a senior or, or later on in his career. But and then Demisi Anderson, I said, was a guy who needed a redshirt and and needed to develop. So they've been pretty much what I've expected. The guys on the floor who I've seen on the floor have been exactly what I expected. The problems has have been Race Thompson, Jerome Hunter have been injured, and they were the second and third rank recruits in this class who were supposed to be a big part of the team. So yeah, this is pretty much what I expected from the other guys. And and Rob Finnessy, even before his injury, Rob Finnessy was better than I expected. So um, this class isn't the, a problem, I don't think. All righty. Well, that's going to have to do it for us on this week's episode of The Assembly Call. If you want to see us do the show live, join us. Chat mobbers. At assemblycall.com on Thursday nights for the live broadcast of our Assembly Call recording. And you can always subscribe to our podcast by searching for Assembly Call wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to go to assemblycall.com or text IU to 66866 to join our free email newsletter. Thank you for listening. We will talk to you again for the IU-Iowa postgame show Friday night after the Iowa game. Till then. Keep your elbows in and your eyes on the rim, and go Hoosiers. Thank everybody for coming out. All right, I got to get out of here, folks. Thank you. Thank you for being here and for listening to this episode of The Assembly Call. We appreciate it. And we really do rely on the support of audience members like you to keep our show going and to keep growing. And so we have set up a page on our website at assemblycall.com slash support that lists five ways that you can support the Assembly Call. And we encourage you to choose whichever method is the easiest and most convenient for you. One of the methods is donating, and so many of you have donated, and we appreciate it so much. On that page, you can choose a monthly recurring donation or an annual recurring donation or just a one-time donation, whatever works for you. And if you don't want to donate... Another way to support the show is you can use our affiliate URLs, iutickets.shop or iustore.shop when you're going to shop for tickets or gear, and we will get paid a small commission when you use those links. But however you support the show, we appreciate it. Thank you. Okay. All righty. So, I, I by the way, I, 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 well, I just want to mention real quick, for since just since we teased it, for the folks who are here, like from a talent perspective... And you don't need to like know the entire methodology that I use as long as you uh, as long as you trust my ability to analyze this from a numbers perspective. Um, basically, looking at each team's talent level based on their recruiting rankings, and then you know kind of how the minutes have been distributed on their team, and then the experience level of those players, you know, kind of giving a bump for the experience. Indiana basically came in right in terms of talent. They came in fifth in terms of talent and experience. They came in sixth. So. It's one of those things, maybe not quite as high as the preseason projections would have suggested in terms of, you know, being good enough and experienced enough to compete for a Big Ten title, but a hell of a lot better than playing in a Wednesday Big Ten game. Uh, And what was really interesting is the teams that really seemed to outperform their recruiting rankings and experience levels were Purdue, Iowa and Wisconsin. All three of those teams are 60th or better in the country in three point shooting and 75th or better in turnover percentage. Which seemed to has seemed to kind of help them be able to compensate for maybe not having, you know, the highest quote unquote talent or experience. And Nebraska, Indiana, Northwestern, and Minnesota have all underperformed their level more than anybody else, and they're all two hundred and twenty fourth or worse in three point shooting. It would appear that three point shooting is important 
in uh, modern college basketball. No way. Just big, uh, way, big just, if true. And not big always something true. that is indicative in recruiting rankings. You know, that's you know that's one of the things. I mean, sometimes you have to go for a lower-ranked guy who's a better shooter to get that shooting in your program. Mm. Um, okay, so you're in tomorrow night, right, Ryan? Yes, I am. Okay, Andy's out, so I need to ask Coach. He'll probably have a game. It's Friday night. Maybe. tip i think although their sectional is saturday he said if they win their sectional he's coming or sat next saturday so he's not going to be able to be at the game but he said if they win he's going to drive down and buy beers for everybody on saturday night nice (laughs) uh so wait their sectional is next saturday next saturday is when the sectional is supposed to be that's what he said yesterday or last week yeah the draw was this week wasn't it yeah um but uh Yeah. yeah Uh, I was going to say, well, they're still playing, but I was going to say, if he had a player who was a good shooter, we could go to the hyper and do a, uh, a shooting demonstration. I would totally fully do that video. If you guys wanted to one year, maybe next year, that would be cool. No, we should totally do it. Yeah. Just get me some shorts and let's, let's ask JD just, if we can get a current Hoosier to do it. I'd like you to just <laughs> walk over to the hyper and just walk. If we could just video you walking up to random people asking if you can do it. Yeah. Hey, and I'm a going, shot doctor. Yeah. Can I, uh, by the way, like you, you have to like, go back. Looks, sir, it looks like you might need a little bit of help. And then you they have get, to go like, back and find it, Jared. You think you are? You have to go back <laughs> and find it. You dubbed me the shot doctor. You said our resident shot doctor, Ryan Phillips. I never called myself that, and I still haven't ever called myself that. You did. You absolutely did. You were being sarcastic, I think, joking around, but you did call me that. One hundred percent. This I am is not another one to go mine through episode number two hundred to try and find. There you go. Then this then is I one guess, of those cases where the first part of what you said could be believable, but then you followed it up with the part where, but I've never called myself that. No, I've and never sat there point, and been like, yeah. I'm at which point it all went to hell. So you know, yeah. We need to do another one of those Twitter polls. See who people believe. Did Ryan dub himself the shot doctor, or did you? I mean, I might have said it mockingly or sarcastically. That yeah, okay, no, that that might be true. Yeah. And then that's how it caught but on. You've you've embraced it to a pretty large extent. I mean, yeah. to not I take mean, any responsibility for. I definitely thought <laughs> it before Jared said it. Like that's not there's no joke there. Worried about mom or dad falling? The Symphony Medical Alert System from CVS Health helps make their home safer, even if you can't be there. Symphony works with voice activation or a care button they can opt to wear, along with smart sensors for coverage around the home. With 24-7 emergency response and an app to tie it all together, you can monitor your loved one's well-being for enhanced peace of mind. Terms and conditions apply. Learn more about Symphony at cvs.com symphony or find it at your nearest CVS health hub. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. Tonight's Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player client. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get gig speeds powered by fiber from Cox. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Download speeds up to one gigabit per second. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply.